You're listening to Sermons at FCC Moorhead, a podcast of sermons preached at First Christian Church in Moorhead, Kentucky. A congregation in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ tradition, we are a faith community seeking to live out Christ's call of hospitality and shalom. I'm Reverend Nancy Galler, minister at FCC, and each week we'll post the latest sermon preached from our pulpit. Most weeks you'll hear my voice, but from time to time you'll find guest preachers on this podcast too. Thanks for listening. Scripture is filled with stories of human beings startled by the inbreaking of the sacred into their lives, their ordinary lives. Moses is busy with his father-in-law's flocks when he stumbles across a burning bush that calls out his name. The prophet Balaam is comically blind to the holy while his donkey sees the angel of the Lord in the middle of the road and wisely veers off into the ditch. And then there's young boy Samuel sleeping on his mat in the temple who keeps hearing a voice calling his name, not realizing that it was God calling him. And it's not limited to scripture either. In the holiday film, It's a Wonderful Life, right? George Bailey can't quite believe that Clarence is an angel. And in my favorite holiday film, The Bishop's Wife, David Niven might be forgiven for not believing that the charming Cary Grant is an angel who's been sent to answer the bishop's private prayer. On the second Sunday of Advent, we hear another story. A story of the sacred disrupting the life of an ordinary person without warning. Mary is a young girl, likely no more than 15. And we're told she's engaged to a man, as would have been expected of a girl her age. And in his marvelous retelling of this story, Frederick Beekner writes from the perspective of the angel Gabriel. And he puts it this way. She struck the angel Gabriel as hardly old enough to have a child at all, let alone this child. But he'd been entrusted with a message to give her, and he gave it. Luke, even with his masterful storytelling skills, gives us few details. We don't know where Mary is or what she's doing when Gabriel arrives on the scene. Artists through the centuries have taken liberties and they've painted Mary in very pious poses, always impeccably dressed, demurely reading a prayer book, sometimes with a basket of sewing or weaving materials nearby. There's often a white lily as a symbol of purity and always it seems there's a tree in the background indicating a foreshadowing of the crucifixion. There may be a dove indicating the work of the spirit or even a fierce God figure in the clouds pointing from the clouds at the young girl. Sometimes Mary's indoors. Other depictions have her sitting in a courtyard or a garden, and there near to her is the angel Gabriel, who intrudes, intrudes upon her previously private, ordinary moment. 
Greetings, Pharaoh one. The Lord is with you, Gabriel begins. And Luke, I think, gives us the most human description of Mary here when he says, but she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel sees the confusion on her face and continues saying, do not be afraid. That's a standard line from angels. And then the angel paints a picture of her future of her bearing a son and naming him Jesus, saying he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. Now at this point here in the first chapter of Luke's Gospel, we have yet to be given a full picture of what that future story of Jesus will be. Gabriel, in Luke's telling of this story, has visited the old priest Zechariah with the promise of another son, And he says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Notice what's missing. There's no mention of the rejection of his message or the trouble that John the Baptist will one day stir up. No mention of his imprisonment and his ultimate gruesome execution. Gabriel just kind of leaves that out. And here, too, as he brings words to Mary, Gabriel speaks of the greatness of the child that she will bear, son of the Most High, given the throne of David, reigning over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And at this point, I want to argue with Gabriel. I want him to be honest with the young girl. Tell her the truth. This will not be a story of glory in that way. The path of this child will lead to wonders and grace, yes, but there will be much sorrow, too. And he will face rejection and condemnation, betrayal, and then execution at the hands of the Roman occupiers. Why not tell her this? Indeed, it's not until after her pregnancy, once the baby's born, when his parents take him to the temple as was required, that the old man Simeon will take the child in his arms and speak of both the promise and the heartbreak the future holds for this baby. Simeon says, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. But Gabriel says nothing of the dangers, not a word of the agony to come, but somehow that young girl senses the magnitude of the moment anyway. And she pushes back. How could this be? A perfectly reasonable response and question, we might agree. The question's running through her head now that all her plans for the future suddenly seem in peril. And to her question, the angel responds, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And Gabriel goes on to tell Mary of Elizabeth's unlikely pregnancy at such an old age, saying, for nothing will be impossible for God. 
Now, Luke gives us no time frame in his story, but I imagine at this point, there was a pause. Gabriel's words are still hanging in the air, and Mary is yet to respond. And it's that that moment between when the invitation has been extended and the answer has yet to be offered. It's in that silence full of both wonder and fear, of questions and misgivings, too. Now, to be honest, perhaps it's my own unease that once a pause between Gabriel's words and Mary's response, I want her to consider the possibilities carefully. I want her to weigh her options, to think about the ramifications of her decision. Don't rush in, I want to warn the girl. Take your time. After all, one day, that very grown-up son of hers will admonish his disciples, saying, Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? There in that space, in the in-between of invitation and response, the possibilities are still all open. She can say yes. She can walk into a future unsettled and dangerous with all the complications that come with throwing your hat in the ring with the Holy Spirit. Or she could still in this moment decline. Take in the future that Gabriel envisions and say, you know, no thanks. I'm good. And go on her way with her ordinary life and her ordinary plans. Frederick Buechner, in his reimagining of this story, keeps with the perspective of Gabriel, and he writes that the angel replies, you mustn't be afraid, Mary. As he said it, he only hoped she wouldn't notice that between the great golden wings, he himself was trembling with fear to think that the whole future of creation hung now on the answer of a girl. The cover of our bulletins is a 15th century painting of Mary by Antonello de Messina. And the painting is not the large scene of an annunciation with the, with the angel Gabriel and the lily and the tree and all that. No, Mary's at a small desk with a prayer book open before her. She's wearing blue with a pensive look on her face, and her right hand is raised slightly. And I wonder, is this the moment that she's startled by the presence of an angel? Or is her hand up to raise a question about what he has said to her? Or to hold him off? Or perhaps to say, yes. Into the silence, drawing on a deep well of strength, not visible from the outside, whatever her misgivings or uncertainties, the young Mary ultimately responds, Here am I, the slave of the Lord. 
Let it be with me according to your word. The silence is broken, and she takes up the invitation. She says yes. She says yes to a future which will be full of blessing, but will break her heart too. Our tendency is to think of the Annunciation as a singular event, as an invitation for Mary only, once in the past and never again. Only Mary was asked to carry and raise Jesus, to be what the Eastern Orthodox Church calls Theotokos, or the God-bearer. But Denise Levertov, in her poem, Annunciation, suggests that there are such pivotal moments for many of us. She puts it this way in her poem. Aren't there annunciations of one sort or another in most lives? Some unwillingly undertake great destinies, enact them in sullen pride, uncomprehending. More often, those moments when roads of light and storm open from darkness in a man or woman are turned away from in dread, in a wave of weakness, in despair, and with relief. Ordinary lives continue. God does not smite them, but the gates close. The pathway vanishes. You see, the sacred finds its ways into our lives, ordinary as they are, and then opens up doors. With a slight bow and an inviting gesture saying, come, come on this grand adventure, step out into this holy journey of faith, never promising an easy way never suggesting we will not come face to face with troubles, that the griefs will be many and our fears may be warranted, but always holding within the invitation the hope of God's good news. Moments of divine interruption can be startling and glaringly obvious times of decision in our lives, but I think sometimes they almost slip by us unnoticed as we move through our carefully ordered, predictable lives. The season of Advent opens up space for us, space for us to pause, space for us to pay attention to craft our lives in such a way that we might, we just might, be ready for such holy interruptions. And then we'll find in the busyness, in the struggles, in our anxieties, and with all the clouds of uncertainties and fears, that the sacred will just walk right on in, pull out a chair, put both elbows on the table, Smile at us with a big, wide grin and say, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. What happens next is up to us. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening. We hope you found inspiration today. 
To learn more about our congregation, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, be well, be kind, and always be the church where you are.